Welcome to Waking Up to Grace, full grace with nothing in its place. I'm Lenny, and today I just wanted to take a moment to respond uh, to a brother in Christ who reached out to us on Facebook with a comment, and um, I, I wanted to take the time to to kind of break down what he had said and uh, and give my response. And so I actually I took the I took the time to write it down. And, um, I was, I was kind of tossing up Do I just, uh, you know, I was, I was going to respond, uh, in writing on Facebook. And then I thought, well, maybe I'm just going to do a video on it and I'll just verbally kind of break it down, uh, from the heart impromptu, you know, without, uh, without anything in writing. And then, you know, I thought, I just, I want to write this down. I, you know, so I wrote it down as I went and, and so here's, here's how it reads, um, you know, he, Dennis started out, he said, uh, the first part of his message says, I think you have a, a great message on what grace is all about. However, predestination versus man's free will, I believe, is all wrong. I'm so glad to hear that you, um, and I responded, I said, I'm so glad to hear that you share the knowledge of God's amazing grace. In Luke uh, 15.10, Jesus says, in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. And, um, you know, I actually a friend of mine had brought up that passage in conversation uh, the uh, just last night. And so it was on my heart. And I just wanted to say, you know, I just think that's awesome. You know, the angels are rejoicing in heaven when we when we come to Christ. And, and uh, that's just awesome. And so. I just uh, just wanted to point that out that uh, Dennis, for you and for me, the angels were rejoicing, you know, when we came to Christ. Um, and uh, so Dennis continues on and saying, uh, what you are saying in the beginning, what you're saying in the beginning, God forced Adam and Eve to sin, to be disobedient when Satan deceived them in the garden. And uh, so I wanted to respond and I said, I understand. Uh, where you come to this conclusion, there has been this notion planted into today's most popular doctrines that steers us in that direction. However, I did not say anything like that. If I did, certainly, um, I certainly would have been in error, as you point out. Uh, what really took place in the garden is that God did not stop the servant from deceiving Adam and Eve. God did not intervene or use his influence in that situation. He revealed to us what man's will chooses all on its own. And if he doesn't protect them, and if he doesn't protect them, one rule was given and they couldn't resist breaking it. They couldn't resist the thought of knowing what God knows, being their own God, essentially, being in control of their own destiny apart from God. But God had a plan and a man's will would not overcome it. And so the other, the next part of uh, what Dennis says uh, free will, singular, gives all mankind choices, plural. The Bible does not put human will at odds with divine sovereignty, as if only one of these could be real. It simply or mysteriously upholds both concepts as valid. Man has a genuine will, choices, and is responsible. God is sovereign over all things, even over the will of all. And in response, I said... When we combine free will with choice, we mistake the true meaning. When you choose to drink some water, what made you decide to do that? Was it because you were thirsty? Why were you thirsty? Was it because God created you with the need to hydrate in order to live? 
So it is when we are born again, God has revealed our need for his life-giving grace. So the primary drive of our choice is influence. Are you under the influence of flesh or spirit? Example, Paul says we are either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. If you understand grace, you know which side you are on here. But how did you get here? God changed our will. He changed our desires at a heart level. That is why Paul also says we are free in Christ Jesus. Our will can only be freed from bondage through the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit, as the Scripture says. I could cite several passages here, but there are, uh, these are mentioned throughout um, our content as well. Um, I, I want to keep this on target in order for a more direct response uh, but all of Scripture teaches us about the influence of the Spirit of God and how without it, we would be nothing but spiritually dead flesh. Ultimately, man is responsible for himself. Natural man will be paid his wages by a just and righteous God. As it is written, the wages of sin is death. And the man and man is without excuse. It is all, also written. But who can save us from this awful fate while we are literally enemies of God who hate his word? And then the next part of, of Dennis's uh, comment is two biblical examples, one from each testament, are worth considering. In John 6.37, where Jesus said, All the Father gives me come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. On the one hand, he says, you, uh, you have the divine sovereignty of God on full display. Everyone who comes to Jesus has given to Jesus has been given to Jesus by the Father. That unmistakably points to God's sovereign will and predestination, Dennis says. Everyone that the Father gives Jesus will come to him. They come to Jesus. And then, uh, and then he says they are not dragged to Jesus. Mankind will, mankind will choices is not trampled. Mankind comes to Jesus, and, then I, and that is an act of mankind will or choice, said Dennis. And in response, um, I'm, I'm saying excellent choice of passage. I love this one, and I see you find peace in it as well, Dennis. Um, so in, in John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I told you that you have uh, the one who comes to me. One second. Okay, sorry about that. I had to pause for a second. Um, so John 6, 35, um, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I told you that you have seen me and still do not believe. Everyone whom the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never send away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Now this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should not lose one person of everyone he has given me, but raise them all up on, <clears throat> on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, for everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him to have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And then again, actually in John 10, 22, I wanted to add, 
Jesus says, then came, uh, it will, the scripture says, then came the feast of the dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple area in Solomon's portico. The Jewish leaders surrounding him, uh, the Jewish leaders surrounded him and asked, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I told you, and you do not believe. The deeds I do in my father's name testify about me, but you refuse to believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them from my father's hand. The father and I are one. So now that you have been born again, do you feel forced to do good? Do you feel forced to keep on believing? Do you feel dragged along in your walk with Jesus? Based on the first part of, of your insight, and I'm you know saying this to Dennis, I would assume you do not at all feel that way. So it is when we willingly cross over from death to life, you, you hear the call from the good shepherd and you are drawn into his loving arms. God's sheep never follow another shepherd, as mentioned in another passage. God's sheep were created with purpose, and his will is going to be done in them. They will hear his call and follow. That is his will. Amen. Who can resist the will of God? In Ephesians 2.4, it uh, reads, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in offenses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and he raised us up together with him and seated us together with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this not from yourself it is the gift from God. It is not from works, so that no one can boast. And uh, the, the part I really wanted to highlight here is where he says, for we are his creative work, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we can do them. And in Romans, Paul says, for who has ever resisted his will? And then um, Dennis went on to, uh, in his, in his comment and um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of breaking this down, breaking the comment down into sections just so I can respond in sections. And so another, the next part, he says, the second passage to consider is Genesis 50, 20, which says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The context of this passage is that su subsequent to Jacob's death, Joseph's brothers came to him to ensure their safety and with hopes that Joseph would not take revenge on them for their betrayal of, of Joseph years before. Joseph replied in a way that upheld both divine sovereignty and human will slash choice. And both of these concepts were embedded into a single act, Dennis said. The brothers acted with evil intent towards Joseph. The stated intent proves that this was a genuine act of their violation, but God meant the very same act for good. God was sovereign acting in the brother's actions. Uh, and this uh, that ends Dennis's comments. And so uh, in reply, I, I'm just saying again, when man is acting out his will in Adam apart from faith, it is always against God. But who 
but God is the God who is greater than man can use these situations for his glory. And then Dennis went on to say, so genuine will choices or human responsibility and God's divine sovereignty are, are friends, not foes. They are difficult for us to reconcile, but that is owing to our finite limitations, not to any true tension. So how can God's will be ultimate and our will slash choices still be genuine in the matter? I believe the answer is that left alone, none of us would come to Jesus by faith. And I stopped, I stopped there with Dennis's comment to respond and say this. I said, well, let's take a look at a couple quick examples. When Jonah decided to go to the, op uh, the opposite way that God told him to go, what happened? Well, after being swallowed into the belly of a whale, he was dropped off right where God planned. He then changed his mind and went on to do what God told him to do. But why did he choose to do that? What made him choose? Um, and so I would, I would say the influence, God's influence, God's holy influence. But maybe for the same reason, Paul mentions in Romans 12, 3, for the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, uh, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think with sober discernment as God has distributed to each of you a measure of faith. Then there is Paul. So God distributed to each of us a measure of faith. So that is sobering. You know, we, we can't take credit for that. Then there's Paul's conversion in Acts. I have heard it said that Paul could have chosen not to follow God's lead. Uh, he could have chosen not to do any of the things that he did. But, you know, let's take a closer look at that. Um, let's, let's start reading in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing out threats to murder the Lord's disciples, went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the, to the synagogues in Damascus. So if he found anyone who belonged to the way, either men or women, he could bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he was going along, approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he said, who are you, Lord? Uh, who are you, Lord? He replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But stand up and enter the city and you will be told what you must do. Now the men were who the men who were traveling with him stood there speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. So Saul got up from the ground, but although his eyes were open, he could see nothing. Leading him by the hand, his companions brought him into Damascus. For three days he could not see, and he neither ate nor drank anything. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he replied. Here I am, Lord. Then the Lord told him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at Judas's house look for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and place his hands on him so that he may see again. But Ananias replied, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And there he... Uh, and there he has authority from the chief priest to imprison all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, 
because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I read that part again. But the Lord said to him, go, because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has come here, has sent me so as you came here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, his strength returned. Paul later went on to say that he was chosen from birth for his ministry. Did Paul ever mention feeling dragged along in his ministry? Absolutely not. He received the heart transplant that is described in Ezekiel 36, 26. His, his heart was, uh, was made new. He had a brand new heart with God's spirit inside of it and his new spirit uh, becoming one. So he, he was, he he no longer felt that he was being dragged along at that point. He was born again. He was regenerated. He heard the call of the shepherd and was drawn to it. And uh, that's, you know, he never once said anything about being dragged along. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, you know, it's not like that at all. Um, and then continuing on in the comments, uh, Dennis said, uh, our sin and depravity and spiritual deadness and fallenness, all of us would reject Jesus Christ. We wouldn't see the gospel as compelling or even ourselves as helpless and in need of saving. But in God's grace, according to his sovereign will and election, intervenes. He, wouldn't, he doesn't quash our will slash choices. He opens our eyes and thereby gives us new, um, a new desire. It's by his grace we begin to see the gospel as our only hope and Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So we come to Jesus Christ by faith, not against our will, but as an act of our will, Dennis said, or choice to reject or accept Christ as our Savior and Lord. And then he says, there are too many verses in the gospel message. Believe on the name of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John 3, 16, Acts 16, 30 through 31, Romans 10, 8 through 13. And, um, you know, I, I didn't uh, address those directly because we've addressed those all on, on different um, on different messages and, you know, putting those into context. But, you know, the, the key thing I'm, I'm seeing the disagreement, uh, Dennis, from you is that uh, you're saying he doesn't quash our will and our choice. He opens our eyes and gives us our uh, new desires. And, you know, I, I agree. Um, but to but to one extent, um, and I'll, I'll get into this in my response, and then you said, uh, but as an act of our will or choice to reject or accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. And, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to respond again there. But it kind of goes into, um, you know, the the will, the will thing is that, uh, you know, Paul, Paul mentions we're either are, uh, slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. And uh, so we're 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 either uh, stuck in our, our own fleshy will 
or we're living under God's new will. Um, and, and, uh, so we gotta, we gotta follow, you know, we're going to be under one or the other. Our will, we have a will, but it is not free as, as you would say, we have plenty of choices and, uh, you know, we can, uh, seemingly, uh, freely go about, uh, making these choices and we do, but what's the influence? What's the influence behind them? What is your strongest influence? Um, is what I really want uh, you know to be thinking about here. What is the influencing factor? And so John seventeen six uh, says, "I revealed your name to the men you gave me out of the world. They belong to you, and you gave them to me." This is Jesus talking, and they have obeyed your word. Now they understand that everything you have given me comes from you, because I have given them the words you have given me. They accepted them and really understand that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I am praying on behalf of them. I am not praying on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those you have given me, because they belong to you. So you have an example here of Jesus praying for those that God gave him, not for the whole world. Galatians 2.19, for through the law, I died to the law, so I may live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside God's grace, because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. I bring up this passage in Galatians to point out that during the regeneration process, there was a death. And so, you know, you're, um, in, in your comment, Dennis, you mentioned that he doesn't drag us, but I would argue that he killed us. And that sounds severe, but our old self was crucified with Jesus at the cross. Think about that. You know, this is no small matter. This is extreme. Then he raised us from spiritual death into the eternal life of Jesus Christ. That eternal life started immediately. We aren't waiting for that. We get new bodies in heaven after these fall asleep, but we never die. So he doesn't drag us. He calls us and we're drawn to him as his sheep. Our, his sheep will hear his call and we are drawn to him. But he killed our old self and gave us a new one. And that's why we believe. That's why we've been regenerated. That's He gave us the faith in order to be regenerated. And, um, you know, you, you can't get around that in, in Scripture. And um, my point here is that there's no mention of a, of a spiritual suicide. God killed our old self and gave us the righteousness of Christ. He took away our heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh. A softened, humble heart. He gave us a new spirit, and he poured his spirit within us, and now we are one spirit with him. I wanted to thank you again for your excellent insight, Dennis. I hope you stick around and enjoy more of our messages and continue to be part of our group on Facebook. I see you as a brother in Christ and look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Reach out to me anytime by email or from my contact form at wakinguptograce.com and, of course, here on Facebook. Uh, but I, I wanted to read one last piece that I uh, from Corinthians and uh, on the note of uh, spiritual and flesh, the spirit and the flesh. 
I kind of jumped the gun on the, on the exit there, but I, you know, I did want to thank you, Dennis, but here's one last thing uh, that I want to add in from the spirit versus the flesh from first Corinthians or, uh, chapter two, verse six, he says, now we do speak wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are perishing. Instead, we speak the wisdom of God hidden in a mystery that God determined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, that no eye has seen or ear heard or mind imagined are the things God has prepared for those who love him. God has revealed these to us by the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the things of man except the man's spirit within him? So too, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things that are, that are freely given to us by God. And we speak about these things not by the words taught by human wisdom, but by those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. The unbeliever does not receive the things um, does not uh, the unbeliever does not receive the things that are spiritually discerned. The one who is spiritual discerns all things, yet he himself is understood by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to advise him? But we have the mind of Christ. So you think about that and you realize that the reason you were drawn to salvation was because of the Spirit. And, you know, the God's, God's calling works. <laughs> when he when when he influences you it works god's will doesn't fail and so his influence calls you all the way to salvation all the way through life and and through everything every journey that you're going to uh going to have oftentimes you know we cling to things like god's uh, god's uh eternal security that he gives us but we disregard the the fact that we came to him because of him and those two, those two aren't separate items in Scripture. It's all God. It's all grace. It's full grace with nothing in its place. And, uh, we, you know, you could say that God is dragging us along through our faith, forcing us to keep on believing, forcing us to keep having faith. What a horrible God to just wrap us up in his arms and smother us in his love and not let us go. But it's really not that horrible. And, and so it is with the, you know, coming to the faith. It's it's really not so horrible to realize that he raised you from the dead and uh, that he he killed your old self so that you could be made new again. That's that's the good news. You know, that's that's something to rejoice in. So as we read here, the flesh cannot and does not will things of the spirit, but our will has been made right. We have been made perfect forever, and our minds are being renewed all the while. What a profound mystery. Amen. And thanks again, Dennis. And, um, you know, I hope you feel free to reach out anytime. And uh, you guys enjoy your day out there. And uh, don't forget, you know, we have a, we're on a lot of different platforms other than just Facebook and YouTube. And, you know, if you like to just listen to stuff on your way to work, we have a podcast and we're on a lot of platforms. And, you know, so we're, uh, you know, we're funding that so that you guys can hear it freely at, at, at your own will. And so please do that.
and uh you know let us know what you think so have a have a good day out there and i hope you enjoyed waking up to grace uh this morning take care you guys